Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, and this is what it says. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God. You can be seated. As you're being seated, would you please bow with me? We need and we want God's blessing on this time. So please bow with me. Father, I pray Please give us grace. Lord, we need your grace. We cannot open our ears to hear rightly. We definitely cannot open our hearts to receive rightly the truth that you have for us. We cannot do these things in and of ourselves. These are works of the Spirit. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit, that he would do this work within us, Lord, that he would cause us to hear, he would cause us to want to receive and obey and give us grace to walk in these things. Lord, I pray, speak to each individual here through your word this morning. I believe you have something to say to every soul that you've brought into this building this morning. And I pray that you would do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Let me start with this. Did you know that the film industry, the global film industry, net about $50 billion in revenue in 2019? I use 2019 because that's when things were still normal. 2020 would not have been an accurate representation of box office views, box office visits, nor would this year either because it's not finished yet. So 2019, globally, people spent $50 billion to go see movies. It's it's big business. Did you know also one big part of that are movie trailers? Movie trailers, there are, movie trailers are actually big money too. They put a lot of money into these movie trailers. Trailers. There's actually even a lot of science that goes into the movie trailers because there is something that grabs you within the first couple seconds of it. There's a buildup. There's specific music that's put in these trailers to make you say, ooh, what, what's this about? What's, what's going to happen? And there's like a climax in the trailer, 
And then almost always they, they end with something mysterious. Like, oh, who was, who was that? That person is going to be in this movie? Oh, wow. And they stop it real quick because they're trying to grab you. They're trying to give you enough to make you say, I want to see that. I want to be in that theater when this plays. It's just enough to whet your appetite that you really want to be there. It's not the whole movie. It's a preview of it. It's a glimpse. It's a portion. But it's enough that you can say, ah, I know now what that movie is going to be like, and I really want to go see it. And they work. How do we know they work? Well, $50 billion says that they work. I like to teach the Word of God in such a way that seasoned saints who've been attending church for over 50 years and people who know next to nothing about the Bible, I like to teach in such a way that both of those people can learn something new, maybe learn something different that they've never seen before. I want to try to convince you, I want to try to present to you the triumphal entry in such a way this morning, I want to pitch it to you as a glimpse of glory, and that's what I've titled the message this morning, a glimpse of glory. I want to try to convince you, this is my argument that I'm going to be trying to make, the triumphal entry, though it was many things, it was definitely a fulfillment of prophecy, it's a glimpse of glory. It is like a movie trailer. It is meant to show us something about glory and make us want to be there. So look, look at verse 1 with me. Now, when they drew near to a Jerusalem, remember, this is where the path of Jesus is headed, destined before the foundation of the world that Jesus would be the lamb slain. That's why he's called the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. His path is leading him to Jerusalem to bear the sins of many, to die on the cross, to take the punishment that they deserve, not him, shed his blood, die, be buried, resurrected again. This is where this path is leading. Before that, we see they drew near, it says also to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples. Bethphage, Bethany, these are, these are towns on the way to Jerusalem. It would be like saying they went to Atala, then Rainbow City on their way to Christ Fellowship, Gadsden. You would know, oh, I, I see which way they're traveling here, Atala and then Rainbow City. Okay, I, I see the road they're taking. This is, this is what people would have known back then. They say, oh, Bethany, Bethphage, gotcha. I see the way he's going here. I see the route that he's taking. He's coming from the west to go to Jerusalem. I get it. He went to the Mount of Olives, too. What does Jesus do at the Mount of Olives when he's there? Well, we know what he does. He prays. He would have prayed. He would have sought counsel from the Father before doing any of this. And then what would the Father have advised him? Apparently this, look at verses 2 through 6. Go into the village in front of you. Immediately you'll find a colt tied there on which no one's ever sat untied. If anyone says anything, do you say this? I want to try to show you that between verses 2 and verses 6, from verses 2 to 6, we see 
glimpses of heaven. We see glimpses of three things that are true about the Lord Jesus here on earth that we'll see even more clearly in heaven. What are those three things? We're going to see a glimpse of Jesus' holiness in verses 2 through 6, his omniscience in verses 2 through 6, and, his all, and also his lordship, holiness, omniscience, and lordship if you're taking notes. We're going to see those between verses 2 through 6. How? Well, look at this. Look at verse 1. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 2. Go into the village in front of you immediately. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. Why is that significant? It's also, it's significant because if you recall, after Jesus' death, we learn from Luke 23, he was laid in a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Luke is very clear to point that detail out to us. It's significant that Jesus sat on a donkey no one's ever sat. It's significant he's laid in a tomb that no one has ever been laid. Why is it significant? To show his holiness. These things were set aside only for Jesus. Just for him. Only for him. He was the first one to sit on them. Maybe the only one. Who knows? First one to be laid in that tomb. Maybe the only one ever. Maybe no one else was ever laid in that tomb after Jesus rose out of it. Joseph, uh, Joseph of um, Arimathea owned that tomb. I'm telling you right now, I would not have let anybody else be laid in that tomb. Ever. I would say this is special. This is holy. We see here that there are special things set aside only for the Lord's use. Just like just like in the Old Testament, remember when it came to certain things for use in the temple, there were holy vessels, there were holy instruments, there was even a special type of incense that could only ever be used in service to the Lord. Those holy vessels, those holy instruments, those, that holy incense was only ever used in service for the Lord. Actually, if you read about that incense, he tells how to make it. And he says, if anyone ever uses this incense for anything else besides this, I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it for you. It's, it's going to go badly with you. <laughs> there are things set aside only for the Lord's use. Why? Because he is holy and special and set apart and unique. He sat on a donkey that no one else had ever sat. It was meant for him alone. So we see God's holiness. Now, the, the most clear thing here is we definitely see the Lord Jesus' omniscience as well. Omniscience, what does that mean? Children, if you don't know, it comes from, it comes from two words. Omnis, which means all. It's a Latin word. I know you remember that from your Latin studies, everyone, right? Yes, we all remember the Latin we learned so well. And then the other Latin word, scientia, from where we get the word science. And if you look at the word om, omniscience, it's really just omniscience. That's what it actually says, but we just pronounce it shunts instead of science. Omniscience means all knowledge. So that's what the word science actually means from the Latin word scientia, knowledge. 
So what do we say here? What do we see here, rather? Jesus has all knowledge. Look what all he knows. Go into a village in front of you. Immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it. If anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say this, and they'll let you have it. And what do we find? They go there. They find a colt tied outside the street. They untie it. Some say, what are you doing? They say exactly what Jesus says, and they let them go. Jesus knew where they would find this animal. Look, go into the village in front of you. That village, that's where it's going to be. Jesus knew when they would find it. Not only where they would find it, when they would find it. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you'll find it. So he knew when they would find it as well. And then he also knew what people would say. And also, he knew what would overrule their objection. So he knew the objection. Say this, and it will overrule their objection. Our Lord Jesus knew where they would find it, when they would find it, what their objection would be, and what would overrule their objection. He knew it all. He laid it all out, and it happened exactly the way he said This is another glimpse. This is another glimpse of the all-knowing God in heaven. This is meant to show them just how much Jesus is just like the Father and how he one day will be seated at the right hand of the Father. Again, this is just another thing to show them, hey, look, I'm going to give you a little bit here. I'm going to hook you with something go here, you're going to see this, you're going to do this, you're going to say this. And they went there, and they saw that, and they did that, and they said that. How could they have not walked away with that donkey, with the rope, and said, it happened just like he said, he, just, just like he said, exactly like he said. How could they have not left that village saying, wow, wow. Next, we see his lordship. Holiness, omniscience, lordship, those three things I said. How do we see his lordship? Jesus, between verses 2 and 3, he gives four different commands. Did you pick up on them? Four different things that he says, do this. Number one, go into the village. Number two, he says, untie it. You're going to see this cult. Untie it. A third, he says at the end of verse 2, bring it. Bring this cult. And the fourth command from Jesus is he says, if anyone says to you this, say this. So four commands. Go into the village, untie it, bring it, and say this. Four things. What's interesting, what's really amazing is Mark in his gospel makes sure to show that each of those four things were obeyed. Did you pick up on that too? Look at the first command, go into the village, and then look at verse four. And they went. Untie it was number two, 
Look at the end of verse 4. And they untied it. The third was bring it. Look at the very beginning of verse 7. And they brought the cult to Jesus. And then when he says, if they say this, say this back to them. Where's that found? Look at the very beginning of verse 6. And they told them what Jesus had said. The Lord is giving commands. And Mark's very clear to show each of them being obeyed. Isn't that interesting? It shows a glimpse of the fact that the Lord is perfectly obeyed. In heaven, the Lord's will is perfectly done. Remember how Jesus told us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is perfectly done in heaven. The Lord God is perfectly obeyed in heaven. This is a glimpse of the lordship of God in heaven. God will always be perfectly obeyed in heaven. There was one time when he wasn't, right? Remember the devil and his angels, they rebelled. They were cast out. That will never happen again. That was a one-time rebellion. It was squashed. All the rebellion that would ever happen is done. Those that now enter into heaven are made holy by the Lord Jesus Christ, glorified like the Lord Jesus Christ because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've not been saved by him, let me tell you, this sermon this morning is his invitation. This is not just a movie trailer of heaven and what it's going to be like. This is also an invitation to the movie. Someone paid your ticket. Jesus Christ died to take the punishment that you deserve. You were permanently kicked out of the movie theater. <laughs> permanently. And God bought your ticket. It's way better than a movie theater, isn't it? Movie theater's not even real. It's actors. No actors in heaven. It's the real thing. The Lord Jesus Christ really, truly died because you have really, truly sinned against a holy God. He really shed his blood because the payment for sin is death. He really did die, therefore, as well. And he really did rise again because we serve a risen Savior. Like the old hymn says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in, um, he's in the world today. I know that he is with me, whatever men may say. Right? There's a lot of doubt about Lord Jesus here on planet Earth, and of course it's growing. But so is our faith in him. You can be saved today. Repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is compassionate to sinners who come to him in faith. He's ready to receive you now. He doesn't hold your old sins against you because he's already taken the punishment for them. Isn't that good news? Holiness of Jesus, omniscience of Jesus, and lordship of Jesus. You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not also have him as Lord. When he's Lord, when we say he's Lord, that means he's the boss. But he's a good boss. He's a good Lord. He's a good king. What else do we see about Jesus? We see more about Jesus. 
in verses 7 and 8, now we've gone into a bit of a different portion here. We've, we've seen holiness, omniscience, lordship. In verses 7 and 8, we see Jesus esteemed. We see him honored, welcomed, distinguished. How? Well, it's another glimpse of what he's really like, what always is true of him in heaven. He's always esteemed in heaven. He's always honored in heaven. He's always distinguished in heaven. Always. This is another glimpse of it. When they do this for Jesus, Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what's done for him always in heaven. So look at verses 7 and 8. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. So here we see them throwing cloaks on the ground in front of him. We see them throwing branches on the ground in front of him to walk on with this donkey. Why? Well, first of all, the reason why they would throw these cloaks on the ground is a sign of submission. It's also a sign of honor. We actually get another time that this happened in the Old Testament. I'll read the verse to you here in just a moment, but let me tell you about, there was this king once called Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Definitely not going to be in the most popular baby names for 2021, is it? He had a son named Jehu, and Elisha told one of the sons of the other prophets, go and anoint Jehu as the new king. And as soon as you anoint him, get out of there. The son of the prophet did this. He went, he anointed Jehu as king. And when Jehu comes out, because he spoke to that man in private, when Jehu comes out and talks to his friends, they said, what did that man want? Because all the prophets back in those days were considered weird. Because they said, what, what did that babbler want? And he lets them know that he just anointed him as, as king. 2 Kings 9, 13. 2 Kings 9, 13 said this. Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Notice, they put their garments on the steps for him to walk on. It was a sign. We're submitting to him as king. We're showing that we're honoring him as king. That's what it means. That's what it meant. And that day, when they put their garments down, they were saying something about Jesus Christ. They were saying, we submit to him. We'd recognize him as leader, as king. Now, granted, granted, they had a misconception about what the Jewish king was going to be. They did. We know. Some of them had a right one, but most of them had a wrong one. Most of them thought this is going to be a military leader-type king, just like David, and he's going to free us from Rome, and finally, we'll be liberated. What they didn't realize was they were actually held slave by a much worse dictator, which was their own sin. They didn't see their sin as troubling and as big of a problem as Rome. But the truth was they were more enslaved by their own sin than they ever were by Rome because they could be set free. They could be liberated from Rome and still die in their sins without a real Savior. 
So though many of them probably had a wrong conception about who Jesus really is, you don't. You're given the truth about Jesus Christ. You and I know who he is. And for you and I, who know we're going to get to see the movie one day, this is glorious for us because we do submit to our Lord Jesus Christ with his help and repent quickly when we don't. But they were showing, we submit to you, we honor you. And what about the palm branches, these leafy branches? Well, these leafy branches, these were a very Jewish national symbol. They even had branches on some of their coinage and things like that. It's just a very Jewish symbol. It's a very Jewish thing. It'd be like you waving an American flag on the 4th of July because why? You're saying, this is the symbol of our country. I'm very proud of our country here. And them waving the palm branches that they had cut down whereas they were saying, this is our Jewish king. We're recognizing him as the Jewish leader. And so again, distinguishing him, honoring him, esteeming him, welcoming him. Just another glimpse of what's done for him always in heaven, right? Esteemed, honored, welcomed, distinguished. We'll look at verses 9 and 10 now. We get another glimpse into heaven. We get another small glimpse of what's always true about the Lord Jesus in heaven forever. Shouts of praise. Also petitions to save and the fulfillment of a prophecy as well. Look at verse 9. You may not have picked up on this. Look at verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting this. Those who went before him and those who followed him. Jesus in the middle. So we have shouts of praise surrounding Jesus. Was that a glimpse of heaven? It definitely is. Is our Lord surrounded by praise in heaven? Absolutely. Listen to Revelation verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. It'll be right there behind me. Something about it might sound familiar, by the way. And all the angels were standing where? Around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Those of you who are visiting, this is our benediction verse that we read at the end of every service. Now you know why I chose it. We're joining with the angels and saying these words that are said around Jesus always. He's surrounded by praise all the time. And what do we see here on the road as he's going into Jerusalem? He's surrounded by praise. Quite the movie trailer, isn't it? Quite the glimpse into glory, is it not? <laughs> so much more always going on in the scriptures than we realize. Some of you may have read this again and again and never said, I never put this together. I never, I never thought about this as a glimpse of heaven. And it is. Did you know that this is also the only time that we see Jesus 
allowing public praise like this, this is unique here. We don't really see this done in Jesus' life like this. This is, this is very unique. There are other small times where they say, you know, isn't this the man? Isn't it? Surely, he's, surely he's the one. But public praise like this, out loud, lots of people. This is unique. And it's all being done with a glimpse into glory. And what are they saying? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They are quoting scripture in case you didn't know. This is from Psalm 118, 26. Psalm 118, 26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They're quoting scripture, and this has a messianic connection to it. They're also saying the um, kingdom of our father David. Well, we just heard blind Bartimaeus right before this, in last week's sermon, in case you weren't here, blind Bartimaeus, we said, had blind faith, (laughs) faith that God could heal his blindness, and he did, and he says, son of David, have mercy on me. He put it together that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the prophecy that one of David's descendants would be the one to build the temple, which we said are the people of God. One of David's descendants would sit on the throne forever, and blind Bartimaeus could see a lot more than people realized. This was a messianic declaration, messianic praise coming from them that this is the one. Jesus also fulfilled prophecy that day too. This is a glimpse also that whatever the Lord says is true. Whatever the Lord says comes to pass as it will be in heaven. What prophecy was it? Zechariah 9.9. You you know this one because Matthew is is very, mm, what's the word, intentional. He's very intentional to to point this out. Why? Well, because Matthew's audience was a Jewish audience. So Matthew, you'll see again and again and again, really stresses, this is how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. This is how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. The reason why Mark didn't point this out is because, as you guys recall, Mark's audience was a Roman audience. It was a Gentile audience. They're not so concerned about fulfilled prophecies because they don't really know the prophecies. So that's why Mark didn't point this out, but it was fulfillment of a prophecy. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This had to happen just this way because God said it would happen just that way. And the Lord's words are like pure words, like pure silver refined in a fire seven times. They are pure, they're righteous all together, and none of them will fail, and none of them ever will or have. Jesus fulfills this. So what we see also about Jesus now, he's praised all around, and also he fulfills prophecy. Again, 
His words are true words. His praise is always sung. It's always surrounding him. A small glimpse of heaven once again. It's pretty great. It's really great. Think about, think about this too when it comes to, this is something I failed to mention earlier when we were talking about the praise surrounding Jesus, the angels surrounding the Lord with their praise always. Think of a time, something visual, that the Lord God had the people of Israel make in the Old Testament. A special box called the Ark, the Ark of God. And the Lord's presence was said to dwell in the center of the lid. And what was on either side of God's presence? Do you recall? It was two cherubim, wasn't it? It was two angels on either side. And the Lord's presence was in the middle. Again, a representation that prays surrounds the Lord. It's a glimpse into glory. Verse 11, look at this. Where does Jesus go? He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around and everything, as, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So speaking of the Old Testament, speaking of the temple and all the articles that were in the earthly temple that the Lord God had the people make, he said that these things were a representation of the heavenly temple. So Jesus, walking into the earthly temple, and it says, when he had looked around at everything, what must have been going through his mind, how could he not be reminded of the heavenly version? The earthly version, as, in, as imperfect as it was, though, was still holy, was still made according to God's word, was still a representation of the presence of God with man. And Jesus walked into the temple and looked around and everything. He was reminded of when he is glorified in the temple in heaven. How could he not have been? The Lord is in his temple. The Lord God is in his temple always in heaven, praised perfectly in the place where the king is supposed to be. And where we see Jesus going? In the place where the king is supposed to be. Listen to Psalm 18.6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. From his temple, because God's in the temple where the king is supposed to be. Also, Revelation 7.15, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Jesus walks into the temple. Why? Because that's where God is. God is there. And when Jesus goes in, again, it's just another glimpse. This is where the king belongs. The king has entered into his temple. It's interesting. You might recall also, before he walks into that temple, the people are praising him. Mark doesn't tell us this, but Luke does. There's some Jews, some Jewish leaders that are standing there among the people and getting really annoyed by all this praise that's going on. And they look at Jesus and they say, command your disciples to be quiet. <laughs> and Jesus says, I tell you, 
If they were to be quiet, the stones themselves would begin shouting. This is the day of my praise because this is a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like and you're missing out. And the Lord doesn't want any of us to miss out. I don't want you to miss out. This passage, the triumphal entry, is a small glimpse of what's to come. This is meant to make us excited about heaven. So in conclusion, let me say this. When you read the Bible, when you read this, it's supposed to kind of cause you to react like a movie trailer does. It's supposed to make you say, I'm excited about this. This is a glimpse of what's going to come. And guess what, Christian? If you're in the faith, if you've truly trusted in the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins, repented, and by faith, trusted in him alone to save you, you're going to see this movie. You're going to be there. This is meant to make you excited about being there. You will be with the Lord in heaven one day And that's what the scriptures are supposed to do for us. They're supposed to make us have a taste and even a hunger for more. What does David say in the Psalms? Taste and see that the Lord is good. These things are supposed to cause our palate, our spiritual palate to say, "Mm, I want more of that. I want more of that. And you've tasted that. If you're truly a Christian, you have tasted that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for more. You say, I want more truth. But you've also felt the attack against your faith, haven't you? This week even, perhaps. You've really blown it in some way. You've just blown it. You've let the Lord down. Something this week probably caused you to be discouraged about your spiritual walk in some way. If you're anything like me, but the Lord's gracious and compassionate to you. The Lord tells us to confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I do not want you to think, Christian, if you've blown it horribly this week in some way, or maybe the week, maybe this week coming, maybe this is a word for you for something that might happen this week. I pray that it doesn't. But I want to let you know that this does not disqualify you. It does, doesn't take your ticket to get in, okay? You just, you repent quickly of those things. Keep short accounts with our Lord. Keep, keep short accounts and come to him in faith and repentance, you still have a home in heaven. He's not looking for you to be sinless, but if you have him, you will definitely sin less. God gives us a taste of what's to come and pray, pray that he will increase that hunger and thirst within you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? They will be filled. You're going to this movie. You're going to get in. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the fact that you show us so much truth 
And I pray, Lord, that you would please cause it to do its work within us. To help us to continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness that we may be filled. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made the way for us to enter the kingdom because of what you have done. We do not enter by any righteous deeds of our own. They are as filthy rags. So we do not trust in them. We trust only in Christ. And we thank you so much for who you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the glimpse we saw today. We're looking forward to so much more. It's in your name we pray.